Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Brooke Ellison will join us to discuss Look Both Ways. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Back to the Grok's Science Show. Well, the story of Brooke Ellison from the age of 11 when she was hit by a car, paralyzed from the neck down, graduated magna cum laude from Harvard with a degree in cognitive neuroscience. She previously penned Miracles Happen, a memoir that was adapted into the movie The Brooke Ellison Story, which was directed by Christopher Reeve. She then went on to earn a master's degree in public policy from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government and Ph.D., in sociology from Stony Brook University. She's currently Associate Professor of Health Policy and Medical Ethics at Stony Brook University, VP Tech Axis of the United Spinal Association, and has penned a new book, Look Both Ways, in which she talks about the knowledge that she's gained from her experience. Dr. Ellison, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Lee. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the call today. Thank you. Well, it is certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fantastic follow-up to your uh, Miracles Happen with you, Dory, and some of the wisdom that you gained through the years. I'm curious why you decided to put this particular book together. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk about my life, specifically how I framed it in Look Both Ways. So when I wrote Miracles Happen, I was just 21 years old, so right out of college. And I think at that point in my life, I didn't really have a full sense of what it meant to be disabled. I had lived with disability for some 10 years at that point in my life, but I didn't really have a full understanding of how I had to incorporate disability into my identity. Miracles Happened was an important work for sure, and it kind of chronicled the events in my life and the experiences that my family and I underwent from the time of my accident in 1990 until my graduation. But it took, I think, several years thereafter to really gain the, the virtues of disability, to understand the kinds of benefits that disability taught me, the kinds of lessons, hard-learned lessons that disability taught me, whether that is from the, the framework of hope or resilience, or leadership, all of these skills I think are deeply embedded into the lives of many people who live with disabilities that are really kind of unexpected virtues, and I think come out of many different kinds of challenge. Disability is really just one manifestation of the many different kinds of challenges people face invariably in their lives, and I wanted to be able to share that. Actually, I wrote both ways, right after my 40th birthday, after I had been diagnosed with quite a severe pressure ulcer in my left leg. And if you're not familiar with manifestation or kind of the prognosis behind pressure ulcers, they can be extremely devastating and often can kill people who live with paralysis. And my pressure ulcer was 
stage four, so kind of very extreme, very big, four inches long by three inches wide by five inches deep. So it went all the way to my bone, uh, my my pelvic bone, and it was causing uh, bone infection. I had all sorts of infection within it, and you know, I was, was putting my life very much at risk. And I said at that point in my life that, you know, I needed, if I wanted to write another book, I needed to do it then. I needed to make sure that I incorporated all these really important lessons that I wanted to share with the world at that time. And that's what drove me to write this book. And I just squirreled myself away for the stretch of about three months in the summer, um, 2019, just wrote and wrote and wrote and poured my heart into every word that was on each page. And I feel very thankful to have been able to put it together. So many lessons and they're applicable for everyone. That's right. That's right. So actually, since I, I graduated from Harvard in 2000, I've worked as a motivational or public speaker, and I often use the events in my life as a vehicle to convey a larger message about resilience and about what it means to look at challenge, to, in, to experience challenge in our lives. Right? One of the universalities in the human existence, right? We all have experienced challenge and we all want to run away from it as fast as we possibly can, right? These are universal and disability is just one of a manifestation of those and the skills that I think are required to navigate life living with disability, whether it is um, an understanding of hopefulness, right, a very particular interpretation of hopefulness that I have incorporated into my life or being resilient or being creative or having problem-solving skills, right? These are the, the skill sets that I think people with disabilities employ in their lives on a daily basis, but it's also the very same skill set that I think all of us need to try to draw upon when we are experiencing any kind of challenge. And you know, the more I've spoken about these issues, you know, I've learned other people's stories and the kinds of experiences they've had, and they just run the gamut you know, from all different kinds of uh, really gut-wrenching things to things that might seem a little bit more surface level or innocuous, but still kind of are very taxing on who we are and you know, how we understand the world and understand our relation to the world and even who we are. And so I feel like the lessons that I've learned are really applicable to so many people's lives. And that was really the, the legacy I hope to leave or the gift that I hope to give through this book. Human lives in general, we're towing between these two, sometimes fear and then trying to be resilient in the face of that fear. How do you, how do you reconcile these contradictions that we have in our lives? Right. right. Well, I think we're always fearful of challenge, fearful of risk or threat in our lives, right? We'd be foolish if we weren't. Disability is one example of that. I remember very vividly right after my accident being quite fearful of what my life would look like. I was fearful of even just understanding my life in terms of disability. I remember that quite vividly. I remember trying to push it aside, almost not wanting to even recognize it as part of who I was. And I think that was overall detrimental, right? There are many challenges in our lives that we experience that we want to just try to ignore or push away, but we can't, right? We can't. We have to take them head on. And the understanding that I have of more resilience and how these two kind of constructs intersect is, is a recognition of these concerns, right? The recognition of challenge. You're not trying to just dismiss it or, or ignore it or feel like we could just will ourselves beyond understanding and an appreciation of the significance of that and saying, okay, 
are going to appreciate that, and but try to circumscribe it to as least an impactful role as it possibly can play in our lives, and then focus our attention on the things that still give our lives pleasure and still kind of give our lives meaning. And that was so central to my ability to move on after my accident to say, okay, I am facing this profound physical disability, right? A very extensive physical disability that's encompassing so many different parts of my life, but it's not all of my life. And let me focus my attention and focus my drive and my feelings of a future in life in these other areas. And I think when we do that, it almost becomes cyclical. It almost becomes self-perpetuating, right? You develop a skill set whereby there's a challenge in our lives and we're going to say, okay, I can still get a way around it. I can still find a way to make the most of my life, not necessarily despite it, but sometimes because of it. And like that was a really important lesson for me to learn, one that I learned very early on after my accident and has been so much a part of who I am ever since. So you know, we're all going to live with fears in our lives. I know I certainly do on a daily basis, but it's a matter of rewiring our thinking and saying, okay, I'm going to appreciate this fear and this challenge for what it is and find a way to continue to make my life meaningful, nonetheless, not have it take ownership over me. You point out hope, hope being so important and you talk about three pillars. What is the three pillars in that make hope so empowering? Sure. So when I was an undergraduate, a senior in at Harvard, I did my senior honors thesis on hope and what you know, what that means in the lives of people who experience challenge of various kinds and how that intersects with resilience, kind of our ability to move forward in the face of whatever challenges we might experience. So I've created almost like a mnemonic device for myself when I understand hope and essentially it comes down to your know, first compartmentalizing the challenges that we experience, right? We're all going to experience them, right? That is an inevitability in life, we're all going to experience them, but we can circumscribe them to as least an impactful role as they possibly can play in our lives, right? We'd say, okay, this is the challenge that I'm facing, and let me just put parameters on it. Let me put reins on it, because otherwise it can feel like it is completely subsuming our entire life. I know that that has happened to me many times. This is a skill set that you need to employ. Remind yourself of over and over again. So first, compartmentalizing the challenge, right? So the C in the first pillar of hope, and then reorienting or thinking to the other things, right? So orienting our focus to other parts of our lives that are still very valuable and still have meaning. So for me, after my accident, you know, I had this significant physical disability, but I was able to focus on my education, so my life up until that point was so much dedicated to physical activity. You know, I was a dancer and I was a baseball player and I was a karate student and that was how I interpreted my identity. And it would have been very easy for me to say, okay, you know, after my accident, I don't have the ability to do those things. And so, yeah, therefore, my life is over. But I have refocused my attention to the things that I was still very much able to do and be a part of, and that was my education. So reorienting your focus to the things that are still prominent in your life and not letting the challenge become all-encompassing. And then finding the mechanisms of personal empowerment. So PE of this overall um, mnemonic device that I've entitled COPE, Right, so compartmentalizing the challenge, 
orienting our focus to the things that are still present in our lives, and then finding mechanisms of personal empowerment. And that, I think, is a dual construct that taps on our own sense of resolve and willpower to continue to move forward in addition to the people around us, the networks and the supports around us, finding the people we can rely on to be consistent reminders of how valuable we are, how important our continued contributions are to the world. That was absolutely critical to my ability to move forward after my accident, finding those people to rely on, those sources of strength and hope that have been so pivotal to my life ever since. So that's how I understand the pillars of hope and that mnemonic device or that way of remembering what can oftentimes seem like elusive has been so instrumental in my life really ever since my accident. More of the public policy issues that surround disabled rights that have frustrated you more than any other thing. And I'm curious how you see disability rights currently and how areas that need to be changed and, and your own personal leadership in that arena. Such a phenomenal question. I think that really cuts to the heart of so much of the work that I do and so much of how I've situated myself, especially in, in these recent years. So I think I, like so many other people, after my accident, understood my disability or disability in general to be completely physical in nature, right? It's it's a physical deficit that we need to try to fix or try to overcome in some way, almost like this medical model or medicalization of disability that looks just at the physicality of disability. That was how I understood it, and I think that's typically how many people understand disability. In the years since, though, I've come to understand disability entirely differently that the physicality, the physical part of somebody's body is just one part of what I understand to be a really kind of sociocultural construct that takes into account things like the policies that we develop and enact, social services we put into place, the kinds of environments that we build, the kinds of technology that we innovate, right? All of these factors come together so that a person can either be enabled by or further disabled by the world, right? So we all actually have a role to play in how disability is constructed for us, for an individual, for people in general. Like we all sit on this spectrum of ability to disability, right? So people with disabilities are not simply some population of, of you know, poor, marginalized, subjugated people that we can cast aside when everybody is on the spectrum of ability and we are either uh, enabled or disabled by the world that we build around us. And it has so often been the case that it is the barriers that are completely fixable that have been the greatest sources of frustration for me and I'm sure many other people with disabilities. So just the other day, there is a legislator, Chris Hines, in Colorado who was taking part in a, in a debate. He's a wheelchair user and wasn't able to access the stage because there was no lift or elevator for him to, to utilize in order to get to the, you know, to the platform where everybody else was. So he had to get himself out of his wheelchair and try to pull himself up all, you know, over the stairs up onto the stage. And like that is unacceptable. It's completely fixable. These are the kinds of things that that make people's lives much more marginalized than they need to be. And I think 
often been this othering of people with disabilities and has allowed this kind of thinking to move forward and to, or to not be challenged as aggressively as it should, right? If we think of people with disabilities as being a population that we don't need to associate with or pay any attention to, then we're simply not going to enact the changes that need to be made. So I think right now, as we come out of the pandemic and as we try to rethink how society operates and the kinds of policies we need to put into place in order to make life more equitable for people, we need to be thinking about how disability intersects with all of these issues, whether it is access to employment or access to education or access to transportation or just your community participation in general. Like I know that at the time of my accident or shortly thereafter, it was right after the ADA had been passed. And at that point, there was really not that much in the way of social transition, you know, social changes in social thinking. When it comes to disability, now I think we're in a different point, a different point in history. And I think that we need to be thinking much more broadly when we talk about inclusion, whose voices and presence matter. Well, how far along do you think we are? And have we made a substantial progress? That's, that's, that's another fantastic question. So, yeah, I, I think diversity, equity, inclusion are increasingly becoming parts of our vernacular, right? That we are, the world as it is right now uh, is less willing to accept things as they are or levels of exclusion as they always have been. Now, whether or not these conversations have included people with disabilities on a regular basis, I think is much more questionable. And I think that we're going to need to be broadening our understanding of diversity equity and inclusion so that it is actually inclusive of people with disabilities. I think there needs to be much more representation of people with disabilities in media, in Hollywood, and music, so that people with disabilities are seen really in every aspect of society, are seen in every leadership circle, every boardroom, every legislative body, every C-suite, just across, you know, running the gamut so that it's not unexpected to see somebody see a wheelchair user you know in a ceo's position or somebody who uses sign language in public office like these things should not be unexpected they should be absolutely expected and that's going to take you know, opening doors for people who have not typically had doors open to them in the past it's going to require everybody everybody to feel like they have some kind of role to play in this entire social transformation. And there are 15% of the population lives with disability directly. And many, many millions or billions more are family members or friends of people with disabilities. And this really impacts everybody. And there's, we're all on this slope, right? All on this scale where disability could affect, affect our lives directly at any point, And we just might not ever know it. Right the day before my accident, I never would have imagined living with a disability. But then there I was, you know, the very next day. So it can affect any of us at any time. And we want to make the world as welcoming a place for those who have experienced significant changes in their lives or live in a way that makes their interaction more difficult than it ought to be so that everybody can be included and we all learn as a result. Well, I think that's a fantastic sentiment to place to, to close and by saying we were talking with Dr. Brooke Ellison. Her new book is Look Both Ways. Dr. Ellison, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thank you.
months very much, Dr. Lee. It was my pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.